When we don't meet for a week, a week feels like a long time. We don't hang out on a Sunday. We don't meet for two weeks. I don't even, I don't even know. Like, it feels like it was so long. So Bren, myself, and Jordan got to go down to, uh, to Catalyst, and, and Jen was there. And the, the last couple of days uh, we spent together hanging out at coffee shops and just walking along the beach, just talking about what God is doing in our lives and what God is doing here um, at Revolution and how grateful we are to be uh, a part of it. And just collectively what God is doing in this, in this valley. Like there are so many unique, um, unique things and r- unique relationships that God has plugged us into uh, with other pastors. And I feel, I feel blessed and encouraged and challenged um, that he uh, and his truth and the truth of his son and his goodness, what he's done for you and I, continues to move forward. And uh, just to be able to be part of that is a real privilege. I hope you guys feel the same way. God is continuing to grow, um, to grow me, and I hope he's doing the same thing for you. We've been in 1 John for a few months. I don't even know how long we've been in it, but all I know is that we're in 1 John this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and they will bring you one. We're going to be in 1 John uh, chapter 4, so go ahead and turn there. The text I was, uh, that I'm, I was supposed to be speaking on is 13 through 21, and we really need to have 12 um, as a part of it. So I know if you were paying attention before that we've already actually worked over verse um, 12 when we were um, in this a few weeks ago. But verse 12 really sets the pace and sets a theme for how the rest of the scripture um, is going to play out and how the Apostle John finishes off chapter 4 for you and I. And he picks up in verse, we're going to pick it up in verse 12, and it says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved us first. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God. He has not seen whom he has not seen. Excuse me. And this command we have from him, him being Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's the overlying theme of, the, of this verse, of this chunk of scripture that the Apostle John finishes off chapter four with, is that you and I can have confidence that when we stand before God someday, in judgment, he was going to ask you about your life and what you did and the, the account of who you are that we can have confidence in him. We can have assurance. We can have joy in the way we lived our life. We don't have to stand before him with fear in a trepidatious way because for you and I, um, we know it's not a matter of um, if we're going to die. It's when, right? Benjamin Franklin has a really famous quote. I'm pretty sure most of you guys know it. Death and taxes, Right? Two things certain in this life. Hebrews, um, he shares, the author of Hebrews same, uh, shares that same thing. It says, just as it is appointed 
for man to die once, and after that comes a judgment. So we're going to stand before God. John is resharing that for us to let us know that you can have assurance on that day, my brothers and sisters. That's what he wants to communicate there. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in doubt. We can live in confidence. And we live in constant confidence because his love has been perfected in us. And that's really why I wanted to put uh, verse 12 back in there. Because he makes a simple point, John, that no one has seen God the Father. And Jesus is no longer visibly present. But the unseen God reveals himself, his visible love through you and I and how we treat each other. His perfected love is what John calls it. Perfected love is God abiding in us and us in him. And the word perfected in English, I learned this this last week. I was talking to Danny about it the other day, having a cup of coffee. Um, the word perfected in English has a totally different meaning um, for you and I. We think of it as something was flawed. That we started with something that was messed up and over time we cleaned it up, we got it cleaned up, now it's perfect. It's been perfected. We've taken all that junk out. And that is not what he's trying to communicate. Um, the, the Greek word, which however you say that, I'm not even worried about that. The Greek word for perfected that he's using is completed. It's accomplished, fulfilled. It has reached its goal. It's reaching a goal. It's more about the process than it is uh, the state that we're going to get to. It's moving forward. John, uh, John 4.34, Jesus said to them, he's talking to the apostles, he said, you need to eat something. And he's like, well, here's the news. My food is to do the will of him who has sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus came and fulfilled the scriptures. There are all these prophecies in the Old Testament talking about the Messiah, the one who would come, who would change everything. He would save Israel. But there was nothing wrong with that scripture that he was talking about. It didn't need to be perfected. Jesus came and he accomplished. He completed all the promises that you and I have been given, that the world has been given for thousands of years in scripture. It's the same word, accomplished, same Greek word. So he's taken the mission God gave him and he put it into action. There's a great story. Many of you guys have heard the story of Abraham. It starts in uh, Genesis 12 and it says this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So he starts out in in 12, and you have all these stories between basically chapter 12 and chapter 21 um, of his son being born, this promised son. You know, he's going to make him a great nation. Well, all this stuff happens in between. He's got no kid. He doesn't even have one kid yet to populate the earth, like to make this great nation so God can bless him. And he finally um, allows him, even through his impatience and his errors, to have the son Isaac. And in chapter 22, he, um, God calls him, calls Abraham to go take his son to this hill over here and to sacrifice him. So they load up the pony, all the wood, everything they're going to need for this fire, for the sacrifice, bring servants along to pack all this stuff, and they travel. They get to this place. God asks him to sacrifice him. And then James, he picks up this verse and shares with us, ties into John. He says, James 2.22, says, you see the faith, you see that faith was active long, along with Abraham's works, and faith was completed by his works. So he's trying to tie in this thought that 
Uh, does, that, does that mean that Isaac or that um, Abraham, when he was offering up Isaac, became perfect? Like finally he reached that perfected state. And that's not what he's trying to communicate. He's trying to basically to communicate that for, for you and I to look at Abraham back then, the faith that he had before the day where he tried to, uh, where he offered up a sin as a sacrifice, his faith that was internal and subjective became real. It became completed. It became accomplished. It became active. The minute he started swinging that knife through the air and the angel of the Lord called out and told him to stop, boom. Like faith got really real when you were going to follow through with something like that, with that story. It's, yeah, it's pretty incredible. The Apostle Paul talks about his ministry in the same way. If you know anything about him, uh, Paul wrote, um, I think, two-thirds of the New Testament. He uh, was an incredible man, uh, someone that you and I can look up to. He talked about his ministry, though, many times. He's like, my ministry is going to move forward. God is going to accomplish what he wants me to do. If I need to go to Rome to die, I'm going to go to Rome to die. If I need to go to jail, I'll go to jail. It doesn't matter. He had this vision and this idea that he knew God was perfecting his love, his faith. Not perfecting it, but making it that accomplished, that completed goal, making it to the end. So in verse 12, again, I'm going to reread it. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. He dwells with us. He takes up residence in us. And by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. God is calling you and I to make his name known. People in our lives need to be able to see that there's a difference in you and myself as a follower of Jesus. And in verse 12, he says, well, that's going to be done by the way you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. Per perfect love is don't just talk about Jesus, it's demonstrate Jesus in our community, in our daily lives. Perfect love is going to feed the hungry, is going to serve the poor, it's going to Rhodes Park, it's spending time with Create Common Good, it's teaching our refugees that they are loved in this community even though they've never been to Boise. Some of them can't even speak English. That's real love. That's a love that is being completed, being fulfilled, being accomplished. And for you and I, even in the church, We've talked about or had the thought like, oh, there's so many behind us that, are, uh, that need discipled. We need to bring up these young people in our churches, bring up so they can lead the next generation. Yeah, I agree. That means you and I need to be discipling them. though. It's the whole idea of like implementation. That's where our completed love, that perfected, I don't even like using the word now because I keep thinking perfect, but that accomplished love we are working towards happens in implementation. And John is trying to get us to wrap our heads around putting love in action, so that in verse 17 it says, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. John Calvin said, by his spirit, he forms our hearts so that they entertain brotherly love. Apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit that he's poured out in the church and poured out on each individual believer, we would lack what we need to genuinely love one another as followers of Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling us. Loving each other is what will give us our confidence and overcome the fears that you and I have. Verse 13, he drops uh, the word by this. And he, so he does this several times in, all, in this chunk of scripture through here. So no one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. We abide in him and he's perfected, right? His love is accomplished in you and I. And by this, he says, that we abide in him and he in us. 
because he has given us his Holy Spirit. So by what for you and I do we know? By how many times I go to church uh, in 2013, if I dress up good enough um, on a Sunday, I say the right things, I pray the right things publicly, you know, when I need to. How do we know? He's saying it's by the way you treat one another. Not just another human being, specifically how you treat each other as followers of Jesus Christ, your brothers and sisters in the faith. That is what he is telling us. Picks it up in 14, he says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that God, believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides and love abides in God, and God abides in him. 14, and verses 14 through 16, he starts to stitch together this thought that we haven't seen him, but we have. We see him in each other. I see him in the way I treat my fellow believer. He sent his son, his perfect son, and he just drops the gospel right in the middle of this whole chunk of scripture. Just in case you forgot, the reason that you treat one another with love your brothers and sisters, it's because I sent my son. Jesus Christ came to earth, walked among you and I, lived a perfect life, and we killed him. We stuck him up on the cross. He was put in the grave for three days, and he rose from the dead and changed everything forever. He created this path, this bridge, if you will, so that you and I can have a one-on-one relationship with God. You don't have to come to me to make your way to God. There's no, there's no man there where you can acknowledge like, I believe that Jesus Christ was here, that he said and lived, did the things that he, that he did. That's what gives us that connection. That what is what will mend our broken relationships with each other. It mends our relationship with God. It gives us hope and gives us confidence in that day of judgment and gets rid of the fear that you and I have as human beings. Jesus gives us that. I laugh thinking of uh, just the idea of, of being punished. How many of you guys ever as a child were punished for something? You got in trouble. So those of you who didn't raise your hands, we'll just leave that alone for now. But I, it made me think of, uh, and I, I love my dad, but I can totally remember getting spanked. And I can remember exactly what it sounded like when my old man would whip his belt off of the Levi's, like that clack around the belt loops. You're like, oh man, the sound. I mean, even thinking about it now, like gives me goosebumps. But that, that fear of punishment, of almost knowing that it's coming, you're like, oh man, here it, here it comes. That is, that is not the fear that we have to have towards our Heavenly Father. He is uh, a good Father, a perfect Father. He demonstrates for you and I what it is like to live in confidence through the love that he has given us and the love that he has calling you and I to share with each other. So verse 17, it says, by this love perfected or completed in us so that we may have confidence for that day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love or completed in love, fulfilled, accomplished So verse 17 tells us how to have something that everybody wants, right? I want confidence. How many of you don't want confidence in your faith 
and that love that God has for you. And verse 18 tells us how to get rid of something that everybody wants to get rid of, fear. In John 3.21, he says, Beloved, if our hearts cannot if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And that same word he uses there is the exact same word. It translated, uh, translates across confidence. The same confidence that you and I can have that God will answer our prayers, like he says right there, is the same confidence he says we can have that is available when we stand before him someday. John is saying that boldness and a lack of fear should be the things that characterize you and I as believers in light of God's judgment. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches us. We see it painted through and through the New Testament. The story that God is weaving with his son is that the same way his son was perfect and and covered and clothed in righteousness, that has been extended to you and I because of his death and his burial, and his sacrifice. In Romans 3.21, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So brother and sister, you as a follower of Christ, no matter how how much of a dirtbag you may think you are sometimes, or you fall short of the standard that God has for you, you are covered in righteousness. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are loved. Verse 18, I'm going to reread that. It says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, right? We talked about that. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But if we profess Christ, but if we fear his return, what does that say uh, about you and I? What does that say about the day that we're going to stand before him and be judged? if we carry around fear and this baggage of like, oh man, something is not clicking. Something has not been completed in you and I. Something has not been accomplished because that fear should not exist. Have you ever had a day or days or maybe even a period of time that you made about yourself where you spent no time with the Father, you spent no time in the Word because life is busy. You got work, you got Uh, Maybe kids to get ready in the morning. I got this place to be. I got that place to be. I got my Pilates. I don't, that's not me. That was an example for the the record. I I don't do Pilates. But how many of you have had those days, even where um, you take it a step further and maybe God, God set up an opportunity for you where you were prompted by the Holy Spirit to do or to say something for somebody and you didn't because you're like, I don't know, I'm too busy. I don't have time. If I ignore it, maybe it'll go away. I've, I've been there. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but we've all been there. That's the, that's the truth. That's the reality of it. Tell me about the confidence that you feel during those, those times, though. Tell me about the boldness you feel like you have to be able to go before God and ask for something or pray for something. Is it there? Heck, no, it's not there. Is this love being accomplished during us, during those times in us? Is it being fulfilled? Has it reached its goal? But what about the day when you wake up and some of your first thoughts are about the God who created you for purpose and knows you, knows uh, the number of the hairs on your head or the lack thereof in my case? He loves us. 
you spend time in the word, your steps are directed that day to be a blessing to others. You have the opportunity even maybe to share your faith with somebody at work or a fellow student or an employee. Maybe you took the opportunity that um, this last week to serve the poor. You went down to Rhodes. You went down to the, the mission and served the dinner. You served at Create Common Good. There's a dozen different ways, a hundred different ways that you could be a blessing to somebody in this community. But there's no fear in love. So when you love like that, when you serve like that, it erases the fear that you and I pack around because of our human nature. There's no threats of punishment when we love people, when we serve one another. How many of you have ever performed an act of love, an act of love or done something and had your conscience say, man, you are going to get it for this? Like, no one thinks like that. You've never felt that before. How did you feel up last Sunday when you served, those of you who were able to and took the time to go do something? Were you defeated afterwards? Were you filled with fear, lacking confidence because of the time you spent investing in others around this community in Jesus' name? You were not. You were blessed, and it felt good to be a blessing to others. Even when your day is a wreck by our world standards, you can have confidence and boldness before God, knowing that God's love is being accomplished in you. God's love is being um, completed, being fulfilled So John begins to sum up uh, the chapter in verse 19, 20, and 21. And he says, we love because he first loved us in verse 19. The reason we can have so much confidence is because of verse 19, period. The whole thing, the whole reason this was set in motion is because God first loved us. He loved us enough that he sent his son for us. And his great love for you and I is what propels us forward and the way that we should be treating and loving one another is all built off of his generosity, his grace, his mercy for you and I to be covered in his righteousness. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. In the earlier verses, John is showing us the difference uh, between perfected love and completed love, right? Right? He's not saying it has to be perfect. He's saying it has to be active. But he drops the hammer in verse 20 for you and I and says, look, you're working. Like God's love is being worked out. You're being completed, right? But when it comes to hating your brother or sister in Christ, you're a liar if that's the way, uh, that's the way you think and that's the way you act. So we have kind of a gray area before like it's being worked out. You don't have to be perfect. You need to be moving forward. But he's like, but if you hate your brother and sister, Someone who follows Jesus Christ, you are, a, you are a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He makes it really, really clear for you and I. And both you and I, everyone in this room, at some point in the past, maybe presently or in the future, you're going to deal with a brother or a sister in Christ who wounds you, who does something that is going to set you back and I, the word hate is brutal. You know, the, for those of you who have kids, you've all gone through this like, we don't say the word hate. I hate this. No, you don't. I use it all the time. I'm like, I'm not going to eat McDonald's. I hate that place. And then when we have our kids like just mimicking you and I and the way we treat, the way we talk, right? Well, it bleeds right over in the way we treat people. I hate Jimmy. He stole my kickball. Like, do you really hate him? Because the word you and I are being challenged with from the Apostle John right here 
is, is brutal. He says, if you hate, if you think, if in your heart you hate somebody, you are a liar. How many of you have ever been called a liar in a conversation in the middle of something? Like, you're a liar. That is really, really hard to chew on. And that's the severity of what he's trying to teach us here. Is what he's trying to tell us is brothers and sisters, followers of, of, of the risen Savior, you cannot hate. You cannot live a life as a follower of him that is filled with hate. And then John repeats his warning from chapter 2 and 3, and he counters the whole hypocritical notion right there with this closing statement. Just in case you forgot, this is from Jesus. He gives us a command. And this command we have found from him, from Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So just in case you forgot, as we've been talking, as we've been reading, is what he's trying to communicate here, John clears it all up. Listen, Jesus gave us the command. He was just here. We saw him. We testified. He walked the earth with you and I. And he called us to love one another. I want to read verses 20 and 21 out of the message. I really, the message is a paraphrased version. I don't know how many of you guys have read it before. It's kind of nice to sit down once in a while because you can just cruise through chunks of scripture and get big picture um, kind of stuff. But it says, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person that he can see, how can he love the God that he can't see? The command we have from Jesus is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to do both. So for you and I this morning, what does it look like to have love for each other? I feel like for the most part, a lot of us are in process. Like I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm growing. I'm continuing to learn what it looks like to, to be patient and, and to be full of love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. But who in your life this morning, maybe do you, you need to almost take a pause. Like you need to rest at the end of this chapter and you need to have a conversation. I mean, do, you, do, do any of you have people that go through your head when we start chewing on this stuff and working through this? Where you're like, man, I, I think of somebody, but I don't really want to deal with it. I don't want to have that conversation. Well, friend, you know, brothers and sisters, if there's hate in your heart towards that person, you need to resolve it because it will eat your lunch. And God calls us a liar if we pack that stuff around, if that's the way we communicate, if that's the way we live. He's calling us to love, to love others, to love one another, not seek anything in return, to forgive unconditionally, to bear one another's burdens, to sacrifice and meet the needs of those in our community, in this local community, in this local church, and in the community we have here in Boise. He's calling us to give, to give of ourselves. If we love one another, his love will be completed in us. It will be accomplished. John Piper says, much talk and no deeds destroys assurance. So for you and I, some of us need to just continue to move forward and take the next step. And the way we demonstrate our love for one another is to do something with that love. Is to serve each other. Is to serve our community. But you and I, the, the big picture thing that John is trying to pull out of this is you're going to be known in this world, in your city, in your town, wherever you work, 
by how you talk, not just by how you talk and how you walk, by how you treat and how you live those that you call your brothers and sisters in Christ. So I, I, I want to pray for us this morning and pray that God would, that we continue to change us, that we continue to change you in your faith, you would be stretched, that you would take whatever the right next step is for you and the band is going to come up and, uh, and lead us through some more music. But let me pray, please. God, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful, first of all, for your, your love, for the change um, that you've made in my life, God. I, I feel like you, I know that you've given me a purpose. You've given me hope. God, I know for so many people in this room, you've done the same thing. That you've covered us in, in your righteousness, just like your son, like Romans talks about, because of his, his life, God, the perfect sacrifice, the death, burial, and resurrection. So I pray that that resurrection, that new life would continue to move forward in each one of us. God, for the person who just needs to take the next step this morning and acknowledge that, that you are who you say you are, that they are loved, God. To confess that, that Jesus is our forgiver. God, to make him the, the leader the Lord, the number one in our life, would you do that? God, would you bring each of us to be making that decision when you call us to? God, so as we continue to sing this morning, would you bring to mind, bring to heart the things that we need to correct? God, if we've been struggling in this area of loving our brothers and sisters, would your name be known by the way we treat each other? God, by the way we live, most of all, by the way we serve one another, God, in our community. I'm grateful for um, your love, God. I'm grateful for this group of people who, who gathered this morning in your name. So would you be celebrated well? We give you permission to just continue to change us, God. So have this time. Thank you for your love and praisings. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.